Welcome to the Mama's Hip Hit Podcast, Birth Story Friday. In this episode, Petra is going to be sharing her birth stories where she had a vaginal birth after three C-sections. Welcome to the Mama's Safe Hit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama's Safe Hit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Welcome to the Mama's to Fit podcast, Birth Story Friday. We're really excited to have Petra here who's going to be sharing her C-section birth stories and her V-back after three C-sections. So thank you so much for being here with us. I am so excited to be here and share my stories with you ladies and your audience. Yeah. So let's start with your C-section birth story. So how was your first birth? What maybe contributed towards having a C-section? And how was healing from that? Yeah. So I was actually 16 when I got pregnant with my first. So I didn't prepare for anything. I just thought, you know, my body could do it. And of course, our bodies can do it. But when you're placed in a hospital setting, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. And I wasn't prepared for being, I guess, told to do certain things like just lay in the bed. I didn't realize I needed movement. My water broke, went to the hospital immediately because that's what I saw in all the movies and got there, labored for a few hours, progressed to four centimeters. And then the baby had some D-cells in her heart rate. And so the doctor was like, well, we got to give you an emergency C-section because her heart keeps going down and, you know, she could die. And that's all I heard was she could die. So I was like, well, you're the doctor. If you're saying this is an emergency, then let's do it. And, you know, knowing what I know now, there's other things that just contributed to this happening. She actually was talking about going to a dinner that night. And now she was able to make her dinner because, you know, I had my baby by 5.30 p.m. So anyways, um, had that C-section. It was horrible. I felt so alone being strapped down to a table. They showed me my baby and then she was gone. And then they wrapped her up real tight, a bunch of blankets. And all I could see was a little circle of her face. And I was just like, whose baby is this? This feels so weird. Like it was just, there was so much disconnect. And, you know, I was a teenager, so I was a child having a child. So I was already, you know, like, I don't know. I didn't know what to do. You know, that was my first C-section. And then I ended up having my next baby about 10 years later. And I ended up having partial placenta previa that was diagnosed at my 20-week ultrasound. And they said, okay, well, let's schedule your C-section because, you know, we don't, we don't support VBAC anyways here. So that hospital had a VBAC ban. And um, I didn't realize that a partial placenta previa could move. It would, you know, move out of the way of your cervix. And so I just did what my doctor said, scheduled the C-section at actually 36 weeks because I did have a couple drops of blood. Nothing crazy. Baby was great. But because of that, they said I needed to have a C-section at 36 weeks. So I listened to my doctor and had the C-section. 
And uh, later I found out, actually, that it had moved out of the way. The placenta was not covering my cervix at all. So I actually could have had a vaginal birth if I would have, you know, educated myself and dug a little deeper and didn't just listen to my doctor. But, you know, it happens. So then four years later, I got pregnant again with my third baby and same doctor, same hospital. And they said, you know, absolutely not. This is super dangerous for you to have a VBAC because I had voiced I wanted one. And they said, nope, you've had two C-sections. You could die. Your baby could die. Like, this is super dangerous. We don't recommend this at all. And, you know, after talking to my husband, we decided, you know, it was dangerous. If our doctor's telling us, then they must be right. I didn't do my research or anything like that. I didn't educate myself. And I had a scheduled C-section at 39 weeks. Every C-section was the same in the way that I just felt so alone. I felt so disconnected from my baby. Breastfeeding journeys were horrible. They were so hard. My first two babies, I did not breastfeed just because it was so, I was depressed. I, you know, and that affects your breast milk supply. And, you know, I was just I don't know. It, it it just was something that didn't feel that important to me because I just had this major abdominal surgery that I was healing from. And there was just so many emotions to go along with that. Um, my third baby, I actually did try really hard to breastfeed her and we did make it to a year, but it was it was work. So anyways, if you'd like, I can just go right into my VMAX story. Absolutely. So how did you prepare for pregnancy number four? Yeah, so we had decided about a year after our third baby that we wanted to try for our fourth baby. So I wasn't even pregnant yet, and I started just researching like crazy because I told my husband, I absolutely do not want another major abdominal surgery. You know, it's it's hard, and he didn't realize how hard it was because C-sections are made to seem like they're not a big deal, and... They're huge. Like, (laughs) it's so hard to not only heal from a surgery, but to also take care of a newborn. So I did not want to go through that. And I had postpartum depression with my other babies. So I researched for providers, just a little, like, sneak peek. I never found one. You know, I never found a supportive provider. Everybody told me no. I even reached out to my local I Can group. And they did help me find providers that were supportive, but the closest one was like three hours away. And I just was not able, you know, our financial and family situation at the time, that was not a good decision for us. So I did change providers. We have a Kaiser here in Modesto, where I live. We're in California. And they're supportive of VBAC after two C-sections. So to me, I was like, well, that's just one less C-section than I've had. So they must be supportive. So I just was, I switched providers. I switched insurances. So, well, that was actually while I was pregnant. But before I was pregnant, I was, you know, really trying to prepare my mind, body, and soul, honestly, just everything Because I already knew from everything I read on Facebook groups, on every single pregnancy thread, doctors are just not supportive. And of sometimes even VBAC after one C-section. So I knew I was up for a fight. And so I was really researching, like, what to do to have a successful VBAC. 
So one of the things on the list was hire a doula. So I looked for a doula, hired a doula. That was VBAC supportive. My doula specifically, she had never supported a VBAC ever, but she was like gung-ho and she was absolutely amazing. So we found out I was pregnant and it was incredible. My pregnancy was so beautiful. It was perfect. It felt right. Everything felt good. I was really honing into my body, my my intuition. I was really trying to just listen to my body and connect with my baby. And I actually did like daily affirmations. I It might sound awkward for some people, but I literally looked at myself in the mirror and would talk to myself and be like, I'm strong. You're strong. Like you can do this. Your body was made to do this. And I would do that every single day. <laughs> you know, it does feel awkward at first, but speaking it out loud and looking at yourself in the mirror, it's so effective in such a different way. And I literally would visualize what my birth would look like, who would be there, what it would smell like, what it would feel like, you know, like that that triumphant feeling after giving birth to my baby and how, you know, I would pull my baby out and put him on my chest. I tried every single avenue. I worked out every day. I did yoga. Like, I stretched. I really wanted to be in the best, like, physical and mental shape (laughs) that I could. So, yeah, I had a lot of pushback throughout my entire pregnancy from everybody, even family. I started telling family that I was going to have a vaginal birth. And I never said I was going to try. I just said, I'm going to have a vaginal birth. I had one family member that was like, "Mm, isn't that dangerous? Can't your baby die? Like, once a a C-section, always a C-section, right? And so after that, I quit telling any family or friends. I only chose like a handful of people to tell that I knew would be supportive of my decision And that's it, because I already had so much negativity coming at me from my doctors. I think I saw like nine different doctors, nine or 10 different doctors, and every single one said the same thing. You can die. Your baby can die. There's so much risk in doing this. This is not a good decision. If you were my wife, I would not let you do this. Like so many different things. And, you know, a lot of times I would leave my appointments just crying because I was like, am I doing the right thing? You know, because all this negativity that's coming at you and then you start to question yourself. So I started questioning myself and would call my husband because he was working and he didn't come to the appointments with me. He'd be like, I trust you. You know, if you feel like this is right, then I'm 100% behind you. He's like, screw those doctors, you know, this is not their body, it's your body. And, you know, he just reaffirmed he's very... He's very much my huge, my biggest supporter ever. He supports anything that I do. And he knows, like, once I put my mind to something, even if he doesn't really agree with it, I'm going to do it anyways. So (laughs) he's a good man. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So he was, like, totally on board. And we had talked beforehand about him being willing to, like, advocate for me if need be. And he was like, yes, like, if they say something and I know you don't want that, I will speak up for you. And so that made me feel, you know, even more confident in the fact that I would have that support behind me if I wasn't in the state to advocate for myself. Because, you know, when you're in labor, it's like a whole nother world. 
So anyways, I had planned a hospital birth. I originally wanted a home birth, but no midwife would take me because I was so high risk. And at that point, I wasn't comfortable trying like a free birth. And so we just decided to labor at home as long as humanly possible and then head to the hospital when I felt like I was super close. Going into my 40th week, actually, I was 39 weeks. I was 39 weeks in like, I think, five days or six days. And I started experiencing prodromal labor. And I was so excited when I started feeling those contractions. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. <laughs> like, I was so excited for this. My husband's like, you're so weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, But it was just so exciting because I was like, my body is doing this. Then, you know, my contractions started. And first they were like five minutes apart. And then they were like 30 minutes apart. And then I didn't have them for a few hours. And then they fizzled out completely. And that went on for about three days. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so exhausting. That was on a Friday. And then Monday, I had my 40-week appointment. And I originally didn't want any type of interventions, like no sweeps, no nothing. But I was so exhausted at that point. And I was like, the nurse practitioner offered it. And so I agreed to it. And once she did that membrane sweep, oh, my gosh, it was on. Like, my labor did not stop. It was, like, consistent. Like, we were in the doctor's office, and it should have taken us five minutes to walk from, like, the uh, doctor's office to our car, and it took us 20 because I had to keep stopping because I was having just consistent contractions. And it was it was crazy because I had crazy back labor that radiated into my thighs, which I was not expecting. I had never heard of that before until I experienced it. So I needed hip squeezes for every single contraction I experienced. That was the only way I got relief, no matter what position I was in. I'm pretty sure my husband and my, my doula's biceps grew that day because <laughs> they were like Probably. on it. <laughs> yeah, so that was at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so we labored at home, and it was so perfect. We had, like, fairy lights in, in our bedroom. I had gotten all set up beforehand, and I had affirmations hanging on the wall. We had aromatherapy going with some, like, lavender scents. It was beautiful. It was like my beautiful birthing cave. I loved it. And so I labored in there. And we didn't plan on it, but actually, like, my mom ended up coming by, my sister, my brother, and all, all my kids were there. And they were all taking turns, like, coming in, making sure I was good, if I needed water or food. My brother and my 8-year-old actually did hip squeezes on me, too, which <laughs> was so special. Oh, my gosh. My daughter, my 8-year-old, they were not effective at all, but it was so sweet that she was doing it. So I was just like, it's okay. Oh, that's so, that's so cute. I know. It was really cute. I wish I had a picture of it because it was so adorable. So I felt like I never felt like my contractions were not manageable. And I also forgot to mention I did do hypnobirthing classes while I was pregnant. And it was just so like, of course, they were intense. Like I felt intensity. I felt stretching. I felt pressure, but never did it feel like I couldn't handle it. And I think it helped because I was able to just move around intuitively into any position that I wanted. 
And so we labored like that at home until about 5 or 6 p.m. And then I had gone to the toilet to try to use bathroom. And all of a sudden, my contractions got so intense. And I started just like shaking uncontrollably. And I was like, what is happening? Am I cold? What? And my doula's <laughs> like, you're hitting transition. It's okay. Just give into it. And once I heard her say those words, it was like my body just automatically like released. And I didn't realize, but I was holding a little tension because I wasn't sure what was happening. And once she said that, I just completely relaxed and gave into it. And it felt way more easy to get through once I just kind of let go of that and just let my body do its thing. And so we hung out on the toilet for a little bit. And then somebody was like, should we go to the hospital? And I heard that like a couple times. And they asked me and I was like, well, I guess so. And I didn't really want to leave because it just felt so perfect. But I agreed, reluctantly agreed. I said goodbye to my family that was all there. And it was sad. My eight-year-old, she was like crying. She's like, I don't want you to leave. And I was like, (laughs) she's like, I want to help you. I was like, oh, my little doula in training. So cute. (laughs) Just like put her in your pocket. I know. It's so sweet. She is really sweet. So we ended up getting in the car and driving. It was like 10 or 15 minutes. And once we got to the hospital... We went, and I felt like the hallway was like a million miles long, um, you know, because I was just laboring on through and walking made everything feel way more intense. And But when we got in there, they were like, you know, the typical, well, let's check you, see where you're at. And so they did check me. And I can't remember if they said I was 9 or 10 centimeters, but I was 9 or 10 centimeters. And I, once I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. So we were kind of anticipating having to, you know, advocate and kind of fight for what I wanted. But once they were like, you're like nine or 10 centimeters, they were like, well, let's have a baby. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes. Like, it was just a breeze. Like, they got us into a room. We got all set up. My nurse was absolutely amazing. She was honoring everything that I was asking I did have like a hep lock put in. I never had any fluids running into that hep lock. It was just, you know, locked closed. And so I was able to move around. My doula was helping me get into different positions and the room felt so calm. You know, there was a couple things that were said that I remember like they were like, oh, well, let's take your bra off because just in case we don't want to have to cut it off. And I didn't realize that they were talking about just in case I needed a C-section So I'm glad I didn't like really come to at that moment because I feel like that might have freaked me out a little bit. But I was just like in my labor land. And I remember my doula kept saying like, she did hypnobirthing. So she's probably further along than you guys think because I was so calm and we were like talking and laughing between contractions. It was beautiful. I need to do hypnobirthing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I swear by it, honestly. So it was just like so chill and relaxed in the room. There was a point where I got to and I was just like, oh, my gosh, I cannot get comfortable now. And I was like, I feel like I got to poop. Maybe I should go to the bathroom. And they're like, "Mm, I don't know if you got to (laughs) poop. And so it was like the nurse was like, can I check you real quick? And then like I lay down and she just looked and she was like, your baby's like right there. So I was like, oh, Awesome. And so 
she's like, well, you can start pushing if you want to. And I was like, well, yeah. And so I started like, like pushing a little. And at first it felt a little weird. I actually, I'm like embarrassed to say it, but I like peed a little bit at first. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, like hope nobody saw that, but everybody saw it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, because I was like trying to figure out what to do, you know, at that moment. And, and then like, I got it like, cause they brought a mirror and they were like, here, you can watch if you want. And I looked and I seen like the baby's head and like the doctor and the midwife came in and I was like, okay, so this is like really happening. And so I think they said I pushed like five times. And then I just remember he like flew out. I mean, the doctor was like hands are right there and my hands are right there too. And like, we almost didn't catch him because it was just like he flew out and you know, they're so slippery when they come out and I grabbed his little body and pulled him to my chest, and I was, like, in shock. I was like, I I just did that. Like, I really just did that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was, like, crying and laughing, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so wild. And everyone was just, like, congratulating me. And I remember they said, like, you have a second-degree tear. And I was like, I don't care, you know, like, just fix it or do whatever. Like, I'm just trying to soak in everything that just happened. And, oh, my gosh, it was just so beautiful. And, you know, obviously my husband was there and my doula was there. And, you know, that oxytocin dump that you get after birth is like nothing else in this world. You, I felt like I was in a dreamland. Like, I was just so blissful And oh my gosh, I just couldn't believe that I did it. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it was easy because it was not easy. I had to literally advocate for myself on every single appointment that I went to and, you know, almost felt like every person I talked to about it. So, but sitting here and, you know, now after the fact and let telling you guys my story and letting other people hear my story, it feels so good. Like, I never realized how good this could feel. And it's not just because I gave birth vaginally. It's because I had the courage to stand up for myself when I felt like I had no voice. I felt like I had to listen to everybody else. And I felt like everybody else knew better than I knew my own body. So that right there is like no feeling in this world. And it sounded like everyone at the end was like, hell yeah, let's do this. So they were all super supportive of you at the very end. The fact that you didn't say that anyone was like pushing you to schedule a C-section and that you're at 40 weeks and the nurse practitioner was like, I'll just do a sweep and we'll see if we can make this happen. It kind of sounded like she was like, secretly on your side of like let's do this which is like really awesome and then the fact that you showed up and nobody was like let's strap her down and bring her to the OR like what are we doing like that they were like excited and willing to like support you was like phenomenal and I'm sure it it probably influenced how they practice now where they're like well that was amazing let's let's do that for that again yeah so that's that's incredible that's awesome thank you and yes I that's how I felt too and Also, I didn't mention, but the OB, well, he was training or he was doing rotations or something. He was a student, which I didn't realize till after the fact. But that was the first birth, I guess, he had attended. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. (laughs) 
because I also remember so it's probably like, oh, Bert's a piece of cake. Yeah. This girl did she's great. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And so I was thinking afterwards, like, he is now going forward into his career as a doctor, seeing that a vaginal birth after three C-sections is possible. And, you know, I don't know what effect that actually has, but in my mind, I feel like that probably did do something to him yeah. and affects the way he's going to practice. Maybe. I think it probably did for that but to be also, his first exposure. It's not just that you had a vaginal birth after three C-sections. You also had just a normal physiologic birth mm-hmm. after three C-sections. So it's like not only did he see that like like VBAC isn't like this terrible, terrifying thing. Um, people can do it and like have a yeah. wonderful experience, but also like experiencing normal physiologic birth that a lot of us don't see in the hospital because like so many people, I think it's like 55% of people are induced. And then like another portion of that is like augmented with Pitocin at some point during their labor. So the number of people who actually have just like uninterrupted normal physiologic birth in the hospital is like not not as high as it should be. Yeah, definitely. And then it was crazy afterwards. I almost felt like a celebrity because, <laughs> like, the nurses were bringing other nurses into my postpartum room and were like, this is the girl that had a VBAC after three C-sections. And it was like... <laughs> and she's so, alive! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Her is still intact. Yes. yes, yes. It was crazy. But you know what? That postpartum was like, Night and day, you know, compared to my C-sections, like breastfeeding, I was able to put my baby to the breast immediately and he latched immediately and started just nursing like a champ. And, you know, even though I had a second degree tear, it was nothing compared to, you know, my previous healing from my C-section. Like my healing was, I was up and walking immediately up to the bathroom. Everything felt great. I was like, I feel like I'm going to go work out right now. Like, I feel so good. (laughs) Well, I hope you did it. I hope you did it. No, I didn't. (laughs) For at least two weeks. (laughs) So please say in the postpartum story, was he rested? (laughs) Well, I tried, but, you know, I had a two-year-old and then, you know, two other kids too. So... Yeah, it wasn't all rest, but I did rest as much as humanly possible as the children would let me. But yeah, so that was incredible. So what advice do you have for others, particularly people that are looking to have a VBAC and also wanting to have a VBAC after multiple C-sections? What kind of tips would you give them? Honestly, just I feel like listen to your intuition. Listen to what you're telling yourself because... Everybody can say you can't, you shouldn't, the statistics say this, but nobody knows your unique history, your unique body. Nobody knows that except for you. And, you know, if you weigh the risks of each, because there are risks in each, you know, there's risk to vaginal birth, there's risk to a C-section. So as long as you feel okay with whichever avenue you go with, then that's all that matters, no matter how many times you get told no. Because if I would have listened to all the doctors that told me, no, 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 you need a C-section, I would not be here today being able to tell this amazing story. And, you know, and it's even not to say, like, that you have to have this dream vaginal birth. All that matters is that you have this birth on your terms. As long as it's on your terms, I feel like 
that is the most important thing. Even if you do end up getting Pitocin or, you know, an epidural, because I know some people feel like if they get the epidural, they failed. I don't see that as a failure. Like if that's what helps you relax and rest and be able to get through labor, do it. Do whatever feels right to you. And definitely, I feel like a huge thing is also processing your previous birth experiences. Because I didn't even process my first birth experience until I had my fourth baby. And she was, let me see, 16. So that was 16 years before, you know, I had my fourth baby and I was still holding on to trauma. And so once I processed those previous birth experiences, those birth experiences and traumas that I went through were not able to come into the space of my fourth baby's labor and birth. I wasn't holding on to the fears of, what if this happens? What if that happens? I was so at peace with any of the unknowns because in birth, there's so many unknowns. We never know what's going to happen. So I was so at peace with that because I let go of all of that trauma. So that is so incredibly important. And just, (laughs) I feel like really honing into yourself, using those daily affirmations, talk to yourself, talk to your baby, talk to your partner, because sometimes we don't even talk to our partner about, you know, what could be bothering us. Like my husband never knew that I was holding on to these traumas from my previous birth. He just thought, well, the C-section was easy. And I'm like, for who? (laughs) That wasn't easy (laughs) for me. So he just thought it was no big deal, too. He didn't realize what I had even gone through because he said I made it look so easy. So, you know, talking to your partner, just making sure that you're not holding on to anything because in birth, in labor, that's going to come out. Whether you realize you're holding on to it or not, it's going to come out. So just get it all out ahead of time. That's so important. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your birth story on our podcast. I know folks that are looking to have a vaginal birth after C-section, whether it be after one C-section or multiple C-sections, they're definitely going to be inspired by your story to know how to advocate for themselves, know how to find a provider that supports them. And then hopefully this also inspires providers and medical professionals that are listening to be supportive of what their patients may be wanting, even if it maybe doesn't totally align with what you feel the most comfortable with. Because, you know, we can still do the risk versus benefit analysis and understand that our patients have the ultimate say in their births and that we have to be supportive of whatever that is. So thank you so much, Pesha, for coming on to the podcast and sharing your story with everybody. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My name's Laura. I was very fortunate to take the Mama Stay Fit prenatal and postpartum fitness trainer certification course in typical Mama Stay Fit fashion. I cannot say enough good things about this course. They pack so much information from the physiology of pregnancy to the modifications of movements, just so much good stuff into a really concise and easy to understand program. I love how they went through all of the possible modifications to each kind of move, why that move is beneficial in pregnancy and what to do if you're working with a client that's maybe not comfortable with that or unable to get into that position. What are the cues? What should they feel in their body? How to keep them comfortable and safe throughout pregnancy. I also love how they go through all of the 
possible prenatal complications with very up-to-date science on what the recommendations are for those types of clients, but always making sure to really empower the client to take that information and open up a dialogue with their provider because you are not the provider, right? We do not have the medical clearance to tell them what to do, but we do see them so often and you will have such a such a unique relationship with the client that they really sort of empower you to empower your client to speak to their provider about what's going on with them and why and what that means and what they should do. And I thought that that was really great and really thoughtful. I also really love that they take the time to cover sort of the mental aspect of what's going on for a client in that prenatal journey or that postpartum journey, um, what they might be struggling with internally, other than just the physical changes that are happening, what's happening mentally and emotionally. And it just really overall was a really great way to cover how to support someone during such an exciting and potentially challenging time in life and how to really foster a really great trusting relationship with that person and just set them up for success at a time where it can otherwise be really overwhelming and a little bit intimidating. Once again, I have to thank Gina and Roxanne for all of their information and the way that they present it in their prenatal and postpartum fitness trainer certification course. In Petra's birth stories, she was sharing how with each birth, she started to realize that she actually did have a big say in her birth and that she was allowed to have questions and she was allowed to advocate for the type of birth that she wanted. But it kind of took her until that fourth birth to realize this. And so as you're navigating conversations with your provider about your birth experience, it's important to note that you are the ultimate decision-making authority. You get to make decisions about your birth based on the recommendations and the guidance that you're receiving from your provider. This is by no way us saying that you should ignore your provider's recommendations because they are a part of your team. And if you are choosing for them to be a part of your team, it is important to also take into account their experience and their education and kind of their perspective when making decisions. But ultimately, you still get to make the decision. And so different things that you can do to help you figure out what decision that you want to make, because the decision that each of us may come to is gonna be a little bit different based even if we have all of the same type of information. And so you can use the acronym BRAIN, which starts with what are the benefits of this procedure, of this intervention, of this option? How is this gonna positively impact my birth experience, positively impact my baby, positively impact my pregnancy? And then we're gonna move on to the risk, which is the R of BRAIN. What are the risks of this procedure, of this intervention, of this option? How are these risks gonna have a negative impact on my birth experience? And why are these risks worth taking? And are they worth taking for us as a family? Because again, each of us is gonna kind of have a little bit different of perspective when it comes based on the information that we receive. A is for alternatives. What alternatives do I have based off the choices that they gave me? Because usually there is something else we can do, such as like if they're offering Pitocin, the alternative is like nipple stimulation to do the same thing. And then what is our gut telling you? So I stands for intuition. What is our intuition telling you about making those choices? And our intuition isn't like, oh, I had a birth plan where I wasn't going to get an epidural, but my gut is telling me that this is the right choice. We have to listen to our intuition and our gut, even if it wasn't the original choice that we wanted. And the last one is nothing. What if you did absolutely nothing? What would then happen? And there's a difference between doing nothing and like literally just laying there, kind of like passively letting things happen or being more of an active participant in that nothing. So asking for more time to say like, hey, I would rather to do none of the options that you're presenting to me. I would like to do nothing. And doing some sort of action of like doing movements to open the pelvis to allow baby to like manipulate through the pelvis more, 
rather than just like sitting in your bed for an hour, not moving at all. There are different things that we could do with nothing. And then how is this going to impact your care? Like if you choose whatever intervention that you've decided on at the end, like how is this going to positively or negatively impact your care? What are the different things that are now going to, I don't like anything that I was saying there. So with the acronym BRAIN, we have what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the other alternatives? What other options do I have? What is my intuition telling me or my gut? Do I feel confident with this decision or do I need more information before I can make a decision and feel really good about it? And then what happens if we do nothing or we ask for more time? In addition to all of those different types of questions that your provider is hopefully walking you through so that you feel informed about the decision that you're making is understanding how this is going to change your care. And so if you get Pitocin, for example, you're probably going to have to be continuously monitored. Do you know that that's what's going to happen? And how does that change the way you're able to labor versus like having your water broken instead to kind of help augment or progress your labor? And so understanding how your care will change can also be a really important thing to understand because that can really impact your decisions as well. Another thing will be what does this test tell us? So if you were going to have like a cervical exam, for example, what new information am I going to gather from this test so that I can consent to it or I can say no thank you? And so if the test is not going to give you any new information to help you make a new decision, it's probably not a necessary test. But going through that process with your provider, with the nurse, with your medical team, or other, just even just people on your birth team so that you can feel informed on the decisions that you're making can really positively impact your birth experience. Because one of the things that can contribute towards a more negative experience, regardless if you have a vaginal birth or a C-section, is feeling like you are not heard in your birth, that you were just a passive participant in your birth experience. And that can really contribute towards having a negative or more traumatic experience. And so if you can keep your power and you can keep your decision-making authority, it can really positively impact your birth. And hopefully Petra's story helps to inspire you to know how to advocate for yourself during your pregnancy, inspires your partner to learn how to advocate for you, or potentially even encourage you to hire additional professionals such as a birth doula to help advocate for you in the moment. Because it's really hard to be in labor and it's really hard to be pushing and to be doing all of this stuff and then also expect to fight for yourself. That's just really a hard ask. So if you enjoy this episode, be sure to like and subscribe to our channel so you get notified whenever we release new episodes. We release new episodes every Wednesday and new birth stories every Friday. If you want more support throughout your pregnancy, join our prenatal fitness programs and childbirth education courses. If you need more support after birth, join our postpartum fitness programs and education courses that comes with both newborn care, postpartum, what to expect, as well as infant massage and infant and child CPR and choking. If you're a professional, we offer birth worker and fitness training courses so you can learn from us while earning CEUs. You can explore all of our courses on our website at mamastayfit.com and use code STORY10 to save 10% off any of our courses as a thank you for listening to this episode.